if you will stand with me as we read Psalm 37 together. Psalm 37 says, Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. For evil doers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. Yet a little while and the wicked man will be no more. And you will look carefully for his place and he will not be there, but the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and bent their bow to cast down the afflicted and the needy, to slay those who are upright in conduct. Their sword will enter their own heart and their bows will be, bows will be broken. Better is the light, is the little of the righteous than the abundance of many wicked. The arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord sustains the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless and their inheritance will be forever. They will not be ashamed in the time of evil and in the days of famine they will have abundance. But the wicked will perish and the enemies of the Lord will be like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked borrows and does not pay back, but the righteous is gracious and gives. For those blessed by him will inherit the land, but those cursed by him will be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. For he falls, he will not be hurled headlong, because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. I have been young, and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. All day long he is gracious and lends, and his descendants are a blessing. Depart from evil and do good, so you will abide forever. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked will be cut off. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue seeks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked spies upon the righteous and seeks to kill him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand or let him be condemned when he is judged. Wait for the Lord, keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. I have seen a wicked, violent man spreading himself like a luxuriant tree in in its native soil. Then he passed away, and lo, he was no more. I sought for him, but he could not be found. Mark the blameless man, and behold the upright, for the man of peace will have a posterity, but transgressors will be altogether destroyed. The posterity of the wicked will be cut off, but the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. For their strength is, for he is their strength in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them 
He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. Father, we thank You that You are the God who saves. You are the God who draws us to Yourself. You are the God who is true. You are the treasure of life. There's none other. Lord, calls us this morning to delight in You. To desire You above all else. To seek You with all our hearts. That we would taste and see that You, Lord, are good. That Your words are like honey on our lips, Lord. Father, we pray that your presence would be with us or that your word would speak directly to our hearts this morning or that you give me clarity and precision in my speech that it would be for your glory and our delight in you would be increased as we hear your word this morning. Open our ears to hear, Lord, and do what you say, not just let it pass through, Lord, but that it would be words that bring life, that nourish our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be seated. I know we're getting close to the end of our series on spiritual gifts, but I think oftentimes we forget why we are doing why why is it important that we do a series on spiritual gifts? Why is it that we come together every week? Why is it so important to the Christian life that we are constantly learning from the Word of God? And in that vein, this morning I wanted to remind us, I hope encourage us to draw closer to Christ. Because when we read Psalm 37, we see a paradox or a dichotomy, a difference between those who are of God and those who are of this world. Those who are wicked and those who are righteous. And we're not going to actually be here a lot. We're actually going to spend a lot of time just reading God's Word this morning. Because God can increase our faith. He can increase our love for Him through the reading of His Word. So I was just thinking on these lines, just thinking about treasure, and it made me think about uh, a man named Finn Forrest. Have any of you heard of him? No one? Wow. You all live in a, in a cave? Under a rock somewhere? Okay. Well, Finn Forrest, he was born in Temple, Texas in the early 1900s. And um, he grew up the son of a farmer, and his dad, every summer, they would go to Yellowstone for three months. So he would leave his work, they would go to Yellowstone and camp, and his dad was a professional fishing guide in Yellowstone, and he learned by the age of 13, he was a professional fishing guide. He knew where the fish were. He knew how to cook good fish. And 
people from all over loved to hire Forrest or Finn and his dad to take them fishing. And uh, then when Finn got old enough, he joined the military and he fought in Vietnam. He was in 328 um, combat missions as an air airman flying, um, and that was in 365 days. In a year's time, he was in combat flight 328 times. He was shot down twice, and both times it's a miracle that he survived. And so when Forrest got back from the military, he decided, or Finn, when he decided to get, got back from the military, he decided he wanted to open an art gallery. He had no clue what good art looked like. He knew, he loved artifacts like arrowheads and things like that, because when he was a kid and searching through Yellowstone and hiking with his parents, they would find arrowheads and things like that. So he decided he wanted to open an art gallery and, uh, by the time that that art gallery was closed, he was making over $6 million a year. That art gallery was making as a profit. Um, but interestingly, that is not why he's famous. For those of you, since you don't know who he is, he's famous because in 1988, he was diagnosed with cancer. And he began to think about some things that were important. So he decided to go and buy a chest, a very cool-looking chest. I've seen a picture of it. And in this chest, he put gold and rubies and jewels and um, jade necklaces and just all kinds of treasure. And he took it up into the Rocky Mountains and hid it. We don't know if it was buried or if how he hid it, but it was hidden. And then in 2010, he wrote his memoir, and in his memoir, he left a poem. And in this poem, there were nine clues that would lead you to the treasure. And at the end of the poem, he said, if you find it, it's yours. Now, you can imagine, this treasure, it ended up being said was worth near $2 million, hidden up in the Rocky Mountains. And the best clue that he gave, other than it was in the Rocky Mountains, was it's north of New Mexico. In the Rocky Mountains. <laughs> it's a large area if you've never been to the Rocky Mountains. But he said, in subsequent interviews, he said, if you will just read the book once, read the poem multiple times, and then go back and read the book for hints, you will find it. Well, the search for Finn's treasure lasted 10 years. No one could find it for 10 years. 
And though he, many people tried all kinds of weird ways to try to decode the poem. They would try acronyms. They would try all kinds of coding techniques. And he kept saying, it's just simple. If you just read it for what it says, you'll find the treasure. It's all you got to do. He said, just remember, read the poem, study the poem, go back and read my memoir, and you will have all you need to find this treasure. Well, in 2020, last year, someone found Finn Forrest's treasure. The only thing we know is that it was in Wyoming because Finn didn't want people to go to that place and it become like a pilgrimage because in the 10 years that people began searching for that treasure, thousands upon thousands of people were looking. He said it wasn't long before he had 65,000 emails asking for clues on how to find the treasure. Do you know what his reply generally was? I already told you how to find the treasure. And in that time, five people actually died trying to find the treasure. And Finn said, you think a 79 to 80 year old man would have done those things? They weren't listening to my instructions. And guess what the guy who found the treasure said about how he found it. He only spent two years searching. But he already knew the area just by a plain reading of the text. Just by obeying the instructions that Finn left, he knew the general area of the treasure. Isn't that interesting? Finn was not trying to mislead people. His purpose, he said, was to get people out of their homes, away from electronics and their texting devices, and to explore the outdoors. That was the reason he put the treasure there. And he knew it had to be something of value or people wouldn't do it. It is said because of that treasure that Yellowstone experienced the greatest, especially Yellowstone, experienced the greatest number of visitors that it had in the ten years prior to the publishing of his book. I suspect that the treasure was in Yellowstone. I don't know. Um, I have my conjecture. I almost want to go and see if I can find the spot. I mean, the treasure's not there, but it sounds like a really nice place. But interestingly, that young man was an English major. So he knew how to read. He knew how to understand Plain English. He wasn't trying to decode anything. 
And it wasn't, the problem wasn't, the two years was, the fault was that he forgot one important clue that he gave in the poem. Otherwise, he would have found it much sooner. But in that two years, that man said, the young man, he was 32, he said every day for two years he went to that area and was in searching, he would take a nap underneath a pine tree every day (laughs) because it was such a peaceful place. Interestingly, that's what Finn said actually in his interviews as people were looking. It's a peaceful place. It's beautiful pines and But that man found the treasure because he was searching according to the instructions given. It's interesting, Finn said this because so many people would try to trick him. They say, oh yeah, we, we found the treasure. And he would ask questions to you know, confirm that they were lying to him? They would say, oh yeah, and he'd say, well, what about the necklace? Or this or that, something that he had not put in the box. Or, oh, was it, uh, I can't remember the other one, but it would, he would just ask questions that would lead them to, to think, oh yeah, thanks, because they thought they got a new clue. And so many people would say, oh, I have a, I, I know how to find, I know what it is. And this was his response is, if all of you have such great ideas about how, about the solve, how can they be wrong? You all have all these great ideas. And he said, he goes on, he says, there's a certain percentage of searchers that will not accept the fact that they're wrong. And it, this story made me start thinking about the Christian life. How many people do we know in the world who think they know where treasure lies? They say, I have found it. And you name it what it is. A car, a house, a sex, whatever it may be. Fame, fortune. They're all running after something. But the problem is, they're unwilling to accept that they're wrong. It's interesting, when Finn's treasure was discovered, there are still people today, nearly a year after photographs of the treasure have come out, that have said, well, that was fake. The treasure's still out there. Doesn't that make you think? The Jews say that today about Jesus. The Messiah hasn't come yet. But all that God's Word says in the Old Testament was fulfilled in Christ. Just like Finn's treasure led this man straight to the treasure. As he understood, 
It took him a while, yeah. He had to, he listened to many, many interviews, read his memoir multiple times, read the poem over and over and over and over again. Because he wanted the treasure. He wanted to find the treasure. Yet we as Christians oftentimes take God's word and we open it once a year as though there's no treasure to be found. That wasn't David, right? What does he say? He says in verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Does that mean that you'll get whatever you want? No, because when your delight is in the Lord, you will desire those things that God delights in. Or verse 23, the steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Thinking about a series in Psalm 119, maybe y'all are excited about that. Maybe you're thinking, wow, that's going to be a long one. (laughs) At least it's only a chapter, not a a whole book, but it, it could almost be a book. I just wanted to read the first eight verses. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe His testimonies, who seek Him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in His ways. You have adorned, ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways be established to keep your statutes Then I should not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. Psalm 119 is a poem, unsurprisingly. It is a poem in which David is constantly speaking of his love for the Word of God, saying he desires it more than fine gold, that he loves his Word more than honey. Like he says here in verse 2, who seek Him with all their heart. When I read passages like this, it burns in me. Lord, why don't I love You like this at times? It's easy, right? You Sometimes you'll go to a a camp or a conference, you get fired up. 
excited about the Lord and you're digging in His Word and it just continues to flame that fire. But then something happens in your life. Something comes in and it takes that fire away. What happens? I think the problem is we forget that there's treasure. There's true treasure in Christ. And when we forget where treasure really lies then we stop reading the one way to find it. We start going in our own way. We find, oh, well, maybe our GPS will help us find this treasure. Oh, maybe, because some people did that with fins, or maybe if I do this acronym with this, this will help me find the treasure. Maybe if I read a bunch of Christian books that talk about the book that speaks about the treasure, that'll help. Maybe if I go and read all the blogs that talk about how to find Jesus, that'll be helpful. Maybe if I listen to five sermons a day, then I will find Jesus. I'm not saying those things are wrong. What I'm saying is we have gotten away from the Word of God. Why? Because we don't find treasure in it. I'm not trying to tear you down this morning. I'm just wondering where my treasure lies. So I wanted to take you on a journey to some verses that I think are better than gold. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. I don't know that I'm doing much preaching today as much as I am just reading the Word of God. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. This is treasure. You want to know what treasure is? This is it. Start in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Every single Spiritual blessing is in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. That is treasure. He chose you before the foundation of the world. For what? that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself. He called us before the foundation of the world to be holy, set apart, 
Not set apart just to be set apart. Set apart to be His sons. Set apart to be blameless, not in our own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ. According to the kind intention of His will, we did not want this. This treasure is not hidden in earthly vessels like that of Finn Forest. Our treasure will not rot. It will not rust. Finn had a few treasures that he put in Ziploc bags because he knew that he couldn't keep the box dry. And he had some items in there that had steel and other corroding materials in it. So he put them in Ziplocs. Let me ask you a question. Does Ziploc have an unlimited lifetime? No. Eventually they're going to corrode too. So let's say that Finn's treasure had somehow, and Christ had not come back, managed to exist for a thousand years. Do you think that Ziploc would still be protecting that piece? No. But our treasure does not. He called us, predestined us. He has called us out of darkness and made us His sons. So that we would, or verse 6 says, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. Who's the Beloved? In Christ. That is how we have Grace. And in Him, in Jesus, this is treasure. We have redemption through His blood. Redemption from what? What what does redemption give us the idea of? Being bought back. We were in slavery to sin. We were without hope and He bought us with His blood poured out on the cross. His blood after being lashed, after having a crown of thorns in His head, that blood purchased us. But it didn't just redeem us. It didn't just buy us back from our enemy. It, what does it say? The forgiveness of our trespasses. According to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. Are you beginning to treasure again? Does this sound like the kind of treasure you need to spend your life for? I hope so, because this is the treasure I live for. I lose sight of it at times. Because unlike some, we can't move to a place to search for this treasure. 
There were many people who moved to the Rocky Mountain area so that they could search for the treasure of Fen Forest. But maybe finding the treasure requires sacrifice like that. Not moving necessarily. Maybe it does. But it means we do all by the power of God to find this treasure and to hold on to it, to not let it go. But God, He didn't just do all this and leave us without knowledge of what happened, right? Remember Finn? We don't know when exactly he... Well, he said he buried it when he was 79 or 80. I didn't do the research to figure out at what point, but it was significantly before he wrote the memoir. He buried that treasure. He hid the treasure. I don't know if he buried it or not. He didn't say. But... When he hid that treasure, he hid it before he gave any instructions. But then, when he published his book in 2010, the whole world had an opportunity. And people from all over the world came to the Rocky Mountains searching for that treasure. Well, God, verse 8 says, in all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will. According, according to His kind intentions, which He purposed in Him with a view to administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that, that is the summing of all things in Christ, things in heavens and things on earth. Everything in Christ? Everything summed up in Christ? What a treasure. But that's not it. Paul's not done. What he says is, he says, in him also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, would be to you, be to the praise of His glory. An inheritance. It's not just here and now. There is an inheritance waiting for us. Here Paul is talking about his own experience. We who hoped the first to hope in Christ would glorify Him. And then he said, he began speaking to the Ephesian church. In Him, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, 
who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. You are His possession. He redeemed you. He saved you. And He sealed you. Paul says in verse 18, he's talking about his prayer for the Ephesians. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the suppressing greatness of his power to us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of his, of the strength of his might which He brought about in Christ, who He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He has put all things in subjecting under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body the fullness of Him who fills all and all. Paul's not done. There's more treasure to be found. I'm going to read some more. Please let stay with me. I know I'm reading a lot of Scripture, but this is treasure. Anything that I add to it is only treasure if the Holy Spirit anoints it. But we know that God's Word is treasure. Why? Because it leads us to the true treasure. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And that doesn't sound like something good. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. This is a dreadful description. Among them, we too all formally lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh, of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Where were their desires? Desires of the flesh and of the mind. That's all they lived for. They were looking for earthly treasure earthly fame, an earthly legacy. I don't know if Finn Forst was seeking to make a name for himself when he did this treasure, but he did. Unfortunately, I don't know that he was a Christian from the interviews that I've listened to. So though he created a treasure that... Many treasure seekers went out searching for. He hadn't found the true treasure. We were 
children of wrath. We were under the power of the devil. We were dead, hopelessly lost. But God did something. This is treasure right here. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Raised us to heavenly places? The same heavenly places that He talks about in chapter 1? Where Christ has all authority and power and dominion there with Christ? We don't have to live in under bondage to sin? That doesn't mean we don't fall. If we don't exercise our authority, if we let other means come in, but we have been seated, it says, with Him in heavenly places. Why? Why would God do this? So that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God wants to magnify Himself. And He's doing it through us. I know it's hard to believe that God would use you to magnify Himself, but He is. He wants the world to know of His grace and His kindness. Despite what the world says, Jesus is the true treasure, the true Messiah. He is our hope. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God's treasure doesn't just affect the future. The treasure of Christ should affect us today. It should affect the way we live. It should affect us as Christians because God has called us out of darkness. He's brought us out of death. He's brought us to life. And He's prepared works for us to walk in. You mean that God has, before the foundation of the world, set aside things that you and I are being called to do as we pursue Him 
because He is our delight, because He is our treasure. Remember in Matthew 28, Jesus gives a great commission. What? How does it end? Do you remember? Well, let's let's turn there, just to make sure. I don't want you to believe me. It says, and Jesus came up. Verse 18, and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, or in your going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is the key teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus, who was given all authority, is with us. And He's commanding them to make disciples. And how does He go about doing that? They... they Baptize them and they're teaching them to observe, to do all that Christ commanded. We have it written. But then, the, when he was talking to the disciples, they had memory and they were teaching these things, telling the stories, maybe telling parables. Sorry if I'm yelling, I'm not trying to. <laughs> maybe maybe they were teaching this parable. These three parables. Luke chapter 15. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. Hmm, that sounds good. Some sinners are going to come to Christ and be saved. That's good news, right? Both the Pharisees and scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. They're upset. They're like, Jesus should be accepting us. We're righteous. We're not sinners. So Jesus decided to tell them a parable. Now, before we read the parable, or these three parables... What is the purpose of parables? Are parables always clear? No. There's an underlying message that they would not understand. Why? Because God is dealing with those who will understand. He will open up their understanding. But to the plain human ear, they would not understand this. So... He says, so he told them, verse 3, this parable saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep 
and has a lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. What? That just doesn't make sense. How is how is it possible that God would be more joyful over one who repents than ninety-nine who don't need repentance? I think the point of this is found... later on in this, but do you know of anyone that does not need to repent? No. I don't. I think that's what Jesus is getting at. You think you're you're safe. You think you're okay. But in reality, these sinners understand their sin, and they're ready to repent. You guys, you scribes and Pharisees, you think you're righteous. You don't. You think, I'm a part of the flock of God. I haven't gone off into the wild and gotten lost. But in reality, you're as lost as they are. I think some of us can fall into both these categories, right? Some of us know we are wicked sinners. And we're crying out for God's mercy. And some of us have walked a long time with the Lord and we begin to think of ourselves as righteous in our own strength. But Jesus is saying, rejoicing happens when the lost are found. Okay, here's a, here's another parable. Or, these are all parables that are given at the same time. Jesus is making a point. Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What's the common denominator here? Repentance. A sinner repenting. That's what brings joy to the heart, not people saying, I'm righteous. That's what the Pharisees are... are that's their problem. They think they're okay. Finally, Jesus gives a third parable. This one is very well known. He says, and he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, 
Give me, our father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. He went a far, far away. He was tired of the constraints of his father. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Sounds like he might have went to Las Vegas or something, right? That's what his brother thinks. Now, when he had spent everything, so he took his inheritance and he spent it all. It doesn't seem like in that very long of a time period. I'm sure all his friends loved him. Oh, buddy, let's go party together. Let's go drink and find women or whatever it was. Let's eat the best food. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens that of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Interesting. He was living like a swine. <laughs> then he started working, feeding swine. He was doing everything that was unclean. Just like swine. This would be humiliating for a Jewish son to be working with swine. And what does it say? And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. Something from a tree, they say. And no one was giving anything to him. He was in bondage. He was hopeless. He had nothing. He had fallen to the bottom of the swine pit. For a Jewish young man, I don't think you could have fallen much further. You're feeding swine. One of the most unclean animals to the Jewish mind. But, verse 17, something happens. But when he came to his senses, do you think this was a spontaneous, willed part on his side? He just was like, oh, oh yeah. No, I think the Lord, I mean, again, this is a a parable, but he didn't come to his senses on his own. He was trying to fight the swine for food. He was in the pits of despair. 
He was slopping around with pigs. But when he came to his senses, he realized something. When he realized, it says, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. He comes to his senses. He realizes, if I even go to my father and just work for him, if I just work as a hired man for him, I will have plenty to eat. My father is kind. He's generous. That is way better than the situation I'm in. I'm not worthy to be called a son anymore. This describes us. It describes me. I don't know. And this is going somewhere. I hope you're, you're tracking. So in verse 20, he says, So he got up and came to his father. But something is about to happen. But while he was still a long way off, not a short distance, a long way off, I don't know if his dad had really good eyesight. Again, this is a parable. This isn't a true story. But just imagine, he's looking off into the distance, which is interesting. Why was the father looking down the road? He was waiting. He was hoping against hope. Because he loved him. He was looking. He probably saw him starting, he saw this figure coming. I can't imagine what the son must have looked like. He had no money. No one would give him anything. So I'm sure his clothes were covered in dirt and filthy. But his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and ran. I don't know how old the father was, but the son had to have been of a significant enough age that he would give him his inheritance and let him go. Maybe 20s or 30s? I don't know. Well, the father is probably... Mid-40s at the minimum, at least. So you can imagine this man running to his son. And embraced him. Embrace that mess? Really? Really? Covered with 
mud and slop and smelling of pigs. I don't know if you've ever been to a pig farm, but it's not a good smell. Especially in the summer. I can think of a hundred thousand places I would rather be (laughs) than a pig farm in the middle of the summer. He comes running to him. And he embraces him. And he kisses him. Ugh! All that nasty dirt and slime and whatever. Had the son done anything up to this point? Other than start walking back? No! He hadn't said anything. Yeah, he had made this statement, but the father wasn't there. And then the son finally said, he said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father didn't let him finish. Right? Because remember he said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please make me your servant. One of your hired men. But the father didn't give him an opportunity to say that. No, he, he, what did he say? But the father said to his slaves, wait. You mean the father interrupted the son to do something? Yeah, he interrupted and he said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe. What? And, and, and put on him. Whoa, wait, he's filthy. You mean, you're just gonna give him your best robe? You've already given him half the inheritance. And put a ring on his hands and sandals on his feet. Wow. This son comes to him with no... He's he's so squandered his money, he's barefoot. He's been walking in the dirt all day. I mean, I walk in shoes. I get home and I have, you know, if I'm working in the dirt... I can just imagine in a famine it must have been dry and arid. So he's walking barefoot from a far distant country. He's had no food, likely only maybe water if he found some. Who knows how long it took him to journey that distance. So he must have been a horrifying sight. How the father recognized him, I don't know. But instead of chastising him, he welcomes him. And he brings out a new garment. A ring. Probably a ring to signify Okay, I think we're back. Okay. But he gives new robes. What do you think that signifies? Value, worth, dignity, 
Do you think he felt very dignified walking in the clothes of a pig farmer, barefoot, for all those miles? No, he, he said, I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. He gives him a ring to show that he is in his family. Sandals and feet and bring the fatted, fattened calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate. We're going to party tonight. Remember, this goes with the other parables, right? The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin. There's a party in heaven, right? See that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Or there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Where does this joy come from? God, right? God the Father. He is joyful. His Son, His lost Son has come back to Him. In the book of Genesis, it calls the children of Seth the sons of God. It's interesting. We are made in the image of God. God is not mortal. He's not human. Except in Christ, we have a human representation of God. But His Son has come back. What does He say? He says, For this Son of Mine was dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. This is treasure. The Father's love for us is treasure. The Father sending His Son so that we could be brought back, redeemed by the blood of the Christ. That is treasure. And where are you going to find more about this treasuring God? In the Word of God. Reading stories like this. Because otherwise you'll become like the older son. That's the point of this story. Most people forget that. Because what happens in verse 25? Now his older son was in the field. He's out working. He's been with the father all this time, however long that's been. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. I mean, this was a party. The neighbors were probably calling the police. It's getting rowdy over here. We need to get the music turned down. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. He didn't even go in. You know, I don't know if this was a barn party or not. You know, if this was a, a, a hoedown, as we say. You know, if this was some line dancing. Um, no, we don't, we don't know what kind of music was going on here, but it was loud enough that he knew. 
And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Oh, great news. My brother is back. Right? That's his response. What? That's not his response. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. Not going to happen. I know all those things that my father, my son, my brother did. I'm not going to go in that party. He disrespected my father. He did all these things. I can't do it. Not happening. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said, his father, look, for so many years I have been serving you. I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat. Like, you haven't even given me a goat. He gets a whole calf. Ah. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me. And all that I have is yours. But we had, it wasn't optional, we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead has begun to live and was lost and has been found. See, the problem with the Pharisees is they didn't want the tax collectors and sinners to come to Jesus. They're like, we've been righteous this whole time. You, They all drink and eat with you and you won't eat and drink with us. Okay, sorry, I'm getting a little emotional here. But that's what it, the whole point of the story, these parables is God loves a repentant heart. And He is the one who does the work that causes us to come to our senses. It's all Him. Say, so what does this have to do with treasure? We should treasure this, that the God who made us has predestined us to salvation through His Son. We should treasure Him. If we treasure Him, we will treasure His Word. All those men and women and even children and girls and boys that went searching for forest or Finn Forest's treasure, they read Force Finn's uh, memoir and his poem over and over and over again because they wanted the treasure. What do we treasure? What are we reading over and over again? What are we spending time in day in and day out? What is our treasure? Would we sell all that we had if we found a treasure in a field so that we could buy that field? So that we could have that treasure? 
Because if Christ is not our treasure, heaven will not be the place you want to go. Because you know who will be treasured and glorified in heaven? Christ. God Himself. You know what makes heaven heaven? The presence of God. It's not playing 18 holes 24 hours a day. It's not shooting perfect threes all day. It's not hitting home runs every time you step up to bat. It's not making the best dessert or the best steak you've ever had. Maybe those, I don't know that sports will be in heaven. I doubt it. I don't know. I mean, I guess you could glorify God and I don't know. I'm not going to say there aren't, but I don't think that's not the purpose of heaven. I don't think there are there, but the purpose is glorifying God forever with no sin between us and Him. Can you imagine? To be able to know Him without our sinful flesh separating us? I want to find that treasure. I want Christ to be my treasure. I want Him to be the delight of my heart that when people look at my life, they say, He walked after God with all of His heart. I want you, the same to be said for you, that you walked after God with all your heart. And that's why when we've been doing this this study on spiritual gifts is, I want the spiritual gifts in our church because we need them. Because we need His presence. We need to know Him. We need to love Him with all of our hearts. And we need to be built up. And if we lose sight of our treasure in Christ, the treasure of heaven, then we will stop going to God's Word and seeking to know Him, seeking to love Him. We'll find other ways. We'll try to find that treasure elsewhere. And it may be said of us if we're not careful. It could be said, if all of you have such great ideas about the solve, how can they be wrong? Or maybe we could be those searchers that won't accept the fact that we're wrong. I don't want that. I want to know the truth. I want to read God's Word for what it is. His Word. Not, yeah, there's men who wrote it, and that's why there's flavor and diversity, but it all points to Him. This is the treasure book of Christ and God's design for our world and our salvation. This is the story of salvation. Why wouldn't we want to read it and to know it?
So why do we read the Word? Because we treasure God. Because we treasure Him. We delight in the Lord. And the desire of our heart is to know Him better. And what better place than here? That doesn't mean that we ignore prophecy. Those are extensions of delight in Him. Extension of His presence with us. He speaks to us, not only through His Word, but through revelation. Through one another. But how often do we go to another source than God and His Word for hope, for peace, for direction, for our call, to find out what the purpose of His kingdom is on earth so that we can align our lives with that? So what's our application today? Get in the Word. That's Just start reading it. Don't even just read it. Or I've been doing lately, I, I was encouraged by a guy in Colorado to just listen to the Word. So I got a... I mean, you can get a really cheap audio recording of someone reading the whole Bible and just listen to it as you read, as you drive in the car, as you're... Maybe even if, depending on the kind of work you do. And stop just for a moment. Consider the fact that, so my audio recording is 74 hours. Now I haven't, I've only, in the last two and a half weeks, maybe three, I've made it to 1 Samuel. Just in listening. But, Technically, you could listen to the whole Bible in 74 hours. Not just to listen. I believe God will speak to you, but I just want to encourage all of us to get in the Word. You treasure the Lord. You treasure His presence in your life. You want intimacy with Christ and you're not, and you're unwilling to spend time in His Word. It's, it's not going to happen. Prayer is important as well. I'm not ignoring that. We need both. But if we don't love the Word of the Lord like King David, we won't spend time treasuring Him. We'll lose sight of what matters in this life. So my encouragement is to treasure Christ And one of those ways is to spend time reading His Word. Let's pray.